and welcome to another Making Sense of It with me, Emma Kenny. And me, Pete Smith. This is podcast five. Five. I think we're being really organised because we're actually managing to do what they tell you to do and getting them out on time. I know. We've got at least four listeners as well. I think we've got, we've got about six, I think. Do you reckon? I is reckon. Your mum and dad listening? Mum and dad, all we've got to do now is get a couple of aunties and uncles to listen. We've made it. <laughs> the thing is, though, on a serious note, we're getting momentum and we're actually going to have some really good guests on. We are. So we have coming up a really impressive guy from Liverpool who's a male sex worker. Male so sex. we kind of mentioned last time we were on that we were quite obsessed with the whole differentiation between places like Australia and the UK when it comes to attitudes towards sex workers and also the definition between what we consider a sex worker and a prostitute. So a guy's volunteered to come on, which is going to be awesome. So we'll have him over in the next couple of weeks. And also we talked a little bit about pro-legalisation of drugs and the reason behind that from a political level. And we've also got somebody who's going to be coming on to talk about that. And even more exciting, somewhere in the future when I can arrange it, I've got Brian or True Geordie coming on. So he's a young person and I suppose a middle-aged person's blogger. And I've done his podcast and he's just awesome but i want to get to grips with his story who is he what mm. made him so we're doing all right we are doing all right oh we've got a fertility expert coming on as well is going to talk about journeys i'm infertile so i can't have children naturally so she's going to come and talk to us about that kind of journey and what people go through and all the politics and policies around the fact that lots of people turn into donors and all those issues so mm. i feel like for podcast five we are ripping it we really yeah. are i think it's hard to pick out of them the, those guests that we've got coming up which one will be the most interesting mm. totally different all interesting yeah all interesting what are you doing is starting some kind of competition yes in my head <laughs> it's like a little vote panel yeah no it's we're all going to be as mutually interesting as each yeah, other very diverse yeah yeah it's funny because this week's been one of those weeks hasn't it because we've just moved into a house we had six months of being embroiled in the worst house move ever and if anybody is listening and is going through a house move we have your empathy fully here because we started the process didn't we took a long time to make a decision for a start so i was really connected to my old house my old house is the place where i became a single mum my little boys were two and four we've been in the house about eight months and then my husband had an affair that meant that we split up straight away and suddenly I was plunged into a situation where first they couldn't afford my home, he didn't financially support me enough to pay the mortgage, so no criticism to him there, that's just genuinely a scenario that existed because he needed a place of his own as well and I had to figure out how on earth to keep that place and I credit that house with forming me. And for anybody who's listening who's a single parent, you know exactly what I mean, because it's really hard for people to get their heads around it unless they've been through it. You know, when I became a single mum, I went from having not a comfortable lifestyle, me and my ex-husband, we certainly weren't good earners. I worked part-time, I was just obsessed with bringing my children up. You know, I was one of those mums who wanted to be a stay-at-home mum, I couldn't afford to be, but I compromised and did three days a week. And I used to spend time baking and I lived in soft play areas. I literally lived in soft play areas because it was a way that you could kind of hang out with other mums and drink coffee whilst your children were safe because everything was soft if they fell over. It's kind of the perfect place for an average parent like me to attend. And that house symbolised my beginnings and my essential resilient journey because it was in keeping that house that I started to pursue things like the media. Yeah. And it was through needing that house that kept me working towards that goal. So when we decided that we were going to move, that was like a huge psychological shift for me. Because I'm always kind of quite a karmic person. Like, I still salute at magpies. I know that magpies do not make a difference to your day, by the way. But somewhere deep in my conditioning, that program, Magpie, that ruined my life and a lot of people in my era, one for sorrow, two for joy, three for a girl, four for a boy, five for silver, six for gold. Who cares what comes next? You're never going to see that many often. The program Magpie? Yeah. What was it about? Because I haven't been watching Magpie, but it was around the same time as tomorrow. It was around disturbing children's perceptions of luck and life and superstition. It basically created oh, that option. I remember that. I remember, it was, it, was it around the same time as Tomorrow's World? Similar. Da, 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 da. Oh, no, it's not oh, that no, one. No. <laughs> That's Tales of the Unexpected. 
That's like Thursday night. So, <laughs> Do you remember? Yeah, tales of the unexpected. I think it was after Day of the Triffids and Doctor Who. I think they were on the same night. Tomorrow's Juliet Bravo. Juliet Bravo was on a, on, a, on, a, on a Thursday as well, I think. In fact, in my head, everything was on a Thursday. Well, it probably was because it was very limited options when we were kids. Yeah. But back to Tomorrow's World, you're quite right. The science programme, which was all about new inventions. I don't know, Magpie was like some kids' programme, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but I, I'm, I just recall it being on the same. Maybe it's a bit younger, but I do remember watching Magpie. Yeah, I don't really remember watching it. Is that I why you salute a Magpie? Is that... That's why I salute a Magpie. I don't know why I salute a Magpie. It's ridiculous. Superstitions are ridiculous. Like my friend once broke a mirror, Trisha Lowe, let me tell you, and she went outside and borrowed, buried it at six o'clock in the morning before like the sun came up because she was convinced that would save her from seven years bad luck. I've never, that's the first, I've heard about breaking it seven years bad luck, but I've never heard of burying it. No, I think everybody's got weird stuff. Bury it so it's out of sight. Yeah, anyway, we're protracting from the point. The point is, it took us a long time to make a decision to move. Yes, it then did. Then we, we found this house. I don't know why when I'm we say a this. long time, say that again. When we say a long time, we mean quite a long time, not just a short long time. It was a long it time. It was a long time. It was well. It wasn't a long time to sell our house. We sold it to the second people mm. who came round. So first people, by the way, just to put it out there, if any of you are those habitual visitors to people's houses when you don't really want to buy it because your house isn't even on the market and you can't even afford the place that you're looking at, don't do it. That really annoys you. Because actually there's a lot of process goes into tidying up the oh. house, clearing space, doing what they say on those bloody programmes where you're just consistently making everything minimal, repainting the whole environment so it just looks like a blank canvas. We did that stuff, bar the front room, which did look like it was... Well, the first good. time you do it, you're like, yes, yes, the house looks amazing. And then by the sort of fifth or sixth time... Well, it was just... only the second. Well, no, because we'd have a, had a go before, hadn't we? We'd... Yeah, two years earlier. We dipped our toes we in. We dipped our toes in it when we found a place that we realised we were going insane thinking yeah. of buying. Yeah. We did that twice, didn't we? So we just... This is not really part of the podcast, but it's timely because we're just doing lots of stuff to our house, aren't we? It's the first time we're yeah. kind of putting a stamp on our property together because me and Pete obviously are second marriages. So we've had our test run. We did our test run and All we realised... <laughs> <laughs> Doing it the second time. Yeah. Seems to be going better so far. Yeah, the first model, you know, is uh, never the best. The upgrade. <laughs> the upgrade. The upgrade is the one. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, we got into a situation, didn't we, where we found this house. And it's so amazing how you can blink yourself to something just because there are certain elements of an individual place that you think, yeah, this is it. And basically, it was this amazing, like, three cottages knocked into one, wasn't it? It was pretty expensive. To be honest, it was outside of our budget, wasn't it? It was. But we walked in, and even though from the outside it was a bit like, mm, when you walked in, it was kind of like, wow, this mm. is huge. It had a horrendous kitchen, if I'm honest, because it was completely ripped the heart out of an old cottage and put modern contemporary in, but never mind. We could have done something to that. And it was kind of big, wasn't it? And we got completely blown away. And then, get this, but how self-delusionary we were. This is self-delusion. But anybody listening wanting an example of what self-delusion is, listen to me now. Self-delusion is finding out that the place is literally in a flood zone, not just in a flood zone where it says it could flood, in a flood zone where it's been underwater because it's in a dip in a flood zone. Yeah. Not, when, when we say underwater, we mean snorkels, mibbies. We're talking full breathing apparatus underwater. Yeah. We're talking like it was underwater, like the whole bottom floor was underwater you'd have to swim in and you could actually you know go under and it'd be like swimming pool underwater it was really a bad situation but yeah. we wanted it so badly that we decided well get this the guy didn't tell us didn't tell us but anyway because we were being self-delusionary we thought we wanted this property we decided you know what we'll just spend like 20k having it flood proofed this is all whilst going through a situation where we'd started this sale the second person who came around bought our house we had six months for those people to complete before they lost their mortgage offer. Yeah. Five months into it, these guys are still messing us around. And now it's a divorce situation where they're getting divorced. Don't ever buy a house of people getting divorced. She wanted more money. It's not worth more money. It's worth less money. He wanted the money that we were going to give him, but couldn't sell it because of the court. And the consequence was we got to a point, didn't we? I'd been out with the girls. I'm not going to lie. I'd had a few glasses of wine. I'd sent Pete to view a house the day before. He'd come back and said it was all right. I went round, viewed that house. I was drunk. If I'm not <laughs> going to deny it, I was drunk. And let me tell you, if anybody's trying to make snap decisions of houses, have a few glasses of Pinot Grigio, bob around, you're off for him before you know it. 
And we completed in four weeks. Four weeks. Four, four weeks. Six months nearly with the other place. Four weeks. One day before the people lost their mortgage offer, right, on our house. And we'll have to big up our solicitor here, Joanne Barton at Butcher and Barlow in Berry. Amazing. Now that's... In case you can get any, any conveyance there anywhere. Yeah. So get her. Speak to her. She told four us weeks. not to buy the other house. She was amazing. Yeah. But we got this house. And this is where I'm coming back to that whole thing about karma and the way that kind of I deal with superstition. So saying goodbye to my house was kind of going to be a big deal. I was leaving behind the ghost of my baby's childhood. And it's really hard to describe that to anybody who doesn't have kids. But those little moments that I used to carry Evan down to his cup of tea in the morning. Yeah, I know you shouldn't give babies cups of tea, but I did. They've had wine as well since five years ago, so judge me. And I used to carry him into the kitchen and sit him on the work surface and make his cup of tea. And he'd sit there, and I've still got the blue cup in the cupboard, you know, the blue yeah, plastic yeah, cup, yeah, you yeah. don't you drink it out of that one. And all of those kind of moments, you know, the kids' parties, and because I used to go to town on the kids' parties, single mum with their eyes, I used to cater them, and I used to have everybody around, all the families, like, I used to have the halls hired and everything, they all linked back to that house. Yeah. And baking, you know how obsessed I was with baking when I met you, you know. So saying goodbye to that was a big deal. But the irony is you came back from seeing this house and you didn't try to influence me because you know that I'm kind of one of those people who has to really like something. And this is a modern house and I've never wanted a modern house. Yeah. But the next day when you put the offer in, you kind of said to me, well, you tell that story because that's kind of one of the reasons that making a choice to move here happened because of what occurred when you put the offer in. Oh, when I put the offer in, so... I we started off basically myself and our eldest tied both came and saw it with with Evan we all did except we're not Emma and we, we came out saying we loved it thought it was brilliant and we actually thought it was better than the other house in in a, in a lot of ways and cheaper so and when we told Emma we didn't make a big big deal of it then we went round as Emma says and we checked it out again she did a few glasses of wine she actually loved it but I could tell it was not just because of the wine. So we put an offer in, and the crazy thing is, so I rang, I put an offer in of a certain amount, about six, you know, and then we got a call back saying the vendor couldn't take that amount. But if you take this amount, because she's a practicing Buddhist and she doesn't use zeros in, the, in, in her practice, you know, they're not allowed to in, in that religion. It's bad luck. So if we take it... The nine, nine, yeah, nine, yeah, nine, yeah, nine. yeah. So if you do the nine, 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 and I thought that we were going to say it even higher, and, you know, and I was like, oh, if it goes in here, even higher, yeah, we can't do that. And they were like, yeah, knocked, she knocked a pound off. And says, and then they said, will you take it? And I was like, well, I'll have to speak. She said, well, well if, you, if, you, if you take it, we have a message for you that she can only give to you if you take it. So I was like, well, <laughs> so I just said, yeah, we'll take it, you know, because I wanted to see the message anyway, but we, we took it, you know, I was, you know, I spoke to Emma before and about the price and if it was going down, well, I'd, I'd take it, you know, so we accepted the offer and you'd probably accept the offer anyway, wouldn't you? Because, you know, you want to hear the message. And it turns out it was this, um, I don't know if it was Buddhist scripture or a message from the Buddhist religion, but it was this message that she could only tell me if we'd accepted the offer, so I accepted the offer and she told me this message, she'd written it down and it was about how the house was blessed, um, it was good luck and all that she's had is amazing good luck within it, not one thing's gone wrong, she's put all of her children through grammar school, she's, she's a single mum, she's a single mum, she became a doctor, um, it has done nothing but amazing things for her and it's all to do with the house. So. That was just, I was just buzzing after that because you think, hang on a minute, instead of moving into something which is like Amateurville Horror, we're moving into something which is like a fairy tale and it has things in it which are going to make things come good. So, yeah. yeah it was a massive thing though, that, because it felt like I was getting yeah. a gift and it also felt like it did it feel like something a gift. positive. And also, she let us reduce it, you know. We moved into this without the worries that we were moving into yeah. that other one with. I mean, bear in mind that the, the reduction was ridiculous. It was, but what we've got yeah. is amazing. But she just, it was a surplus property, essentially, wasn't it? Yeah. She found the and she was moving on. 
But there is something quite weird for me that I like to know that one of the problems that we had in that other house, and I think anyone who's listening to this podcast and has moved and has lived in different houses, sometimes you do kind of have a scenario where a house feels good or conversely Mm. not so good. Actually, to bring that point in, that's a really classic example. So there's a symptom called sick house, and it's actually a known phenomena. And it's been studied quite widely. And sick house is where, for whatever reason, a particular house experiences lots of negatives throughout its history. And I'll bring an example in of Pam's house. So, yeah. again, I don't want to go into too many details because my best friend, as you all know, if you're listening to this, died last March. She was essentially my sister. We've been best friends from seven. I don't want to disrespect her in any way, shape or form, but her death, changed me massively and has impacted on my life massively and I don't want to not talk about it because it's part of who I am and at the same time I don't want to be disrespectful to anybody who loves her and knows her because I don't want to kind of profit from her demise if that makes sense and that isn't what I'm trying to do here but an example that really struck me is when Pam moved into that house she never really liked it she used to say to me I don't want to live here and a lot of our conversations as you know when we were best Mm. mates and she was alive we were always around her moving. Do you remember? She would come round and she'd be constantly looking and constantly talking. And I'd be saying like, let's do it, yeah. do it. And then five years before she died, obviously her husband dropped dead. Yeah. And when he dropped dead, again, that was just such a significant thing because she was so stuck in that place. And she found him at the top of the stairs. He basically died at the top of the stairs of a horrendous brain hemorrhage. And even though he was kind of still present at that point, he was brain dead and Pam completely amazingly allowed his organs to be donated. She was incredible. She saved other people through doing that. But that point for me, I knew when I stayed there because I moved in with her and actually Rick spent a lot of time. So Rick is a guy that I'll refer to and hopefully at some point he'll come on the podcast because he's just amazing. He's amazing. And he's a guy who speaks fluent Arabic, different dialects. He's white, he's British. He's incredible, mm-hmm. but he's also a triad of a friendship. So there's three of us who are like really close friends throughout our lives, always return to each other and he's one of them. And Rick came and Rick and me would sit in that house and I would say, I don't like being here. And he would say exactly the same. There was a feeling and it's really strange to explain that, but there was a feeling. And she used to always come to mind and we would constantly be talking. Just as she died, she was looking at moving. It was the first time she'd met Daz. She wanted to close the door on that house. And when Pam died, a few days before, a mutual friend of ours came round because I had told them to. It was really difficult. Pam did not want to see people at that point, but I knew that people would not get an option to see her again. So even though I was potentially going against some of her wishes from asking people to come round, I knew that it was important for them, you know, being somebody who's dying, sometimes you're not thinking about the impact on other people. Mm. So I got them to come round and Kevin Grace came in and said goodbye and it was very very heartbreaking and I saw him at the funeral the next time and he said let me tell you about that house sometime and of course a bit like the message from that woman you just want to know straight away what do you mean what message and he said listen he said the people who lived in that house before he said I met the mother he said and the woman's husband died she said and then she went absolutely crazy he said actually started to go completely crazy she moved house it was completely all right He he died in the house, didn't he? He died in the house. And the woman said, the mother of the girl said, the house, it's the house, the house is cursed. And Pam used to say that. And I'm not suggesting that there's some kind of ulterior demonic scenario here, but I do think things like energy planes and all of those things can be impactful. The the woman didn't just go crazy, she started becoming ill, didn't she? She actually got... She wasn't cancer, but she no. started getting sick. Yeah, she started getting and sick she, and then she, she moved. She actually mentally yeah. went unwell as well. Yeah, and then she moved and yeah, so I mean, I, I totally get that house, houses can, you know, properties can have a... They can. You know, you hear of, you hear of it all the time. You I mean, do. There's, there's, you know, the, and people class it as hauntings as well, like the Enfield haunting, which is a famous one, which was a haunting, but could it have been that similar sort of... Vibe, energy that's in there that could the do energy. different things. And energy, energy is something that is you cannot argue with energy. You yeah. can't, you can't argue with the way that things feel. You know, it's a bit like being in therapy. If you walk into a session with a couple who just had a row, believe me, they don't need to say a word. You can feel it. It's the mm-hmm. energy. But yeah, so when we moved in here, 
that is one thing that I suppose psychologically we're predestined to believe that this is a really nice place, but it does feel good. And like, for example, the kids, our kids were completely happy at the other house, mm. but our kids walk around. And how many times does Tide say, I love this house, I love this house, yeah. I love coming home to this house. Every time we pull up, we pull Just, up and we're like, oh, I love our house. And it's not like we've moved to some Hollywood Hills palatial place. It's just a normal house. But there's something about the way it feels, um, the way it feels safe. I don't know, it just kind of really resonates with me. So that kind of karmic experience of connecting with psychologically how I felt about the old one and grief and saying goodbye. Yeah. I just don't feel like that now. I just don't even think about that. And even though it had such an important part of my life, it really doesn't hold me at all to those memories. I don't even want to go and kind of drive past the area anymore because I just feel like that story is closed. Yeah. We've we drive past the bottom of the actual road to get into mm. it every day and it just yeah it's uh, there's no point in dwelling on the past really mm. is there you know because if you drive past you can all you'll be doing is oh look what they've done to the house why are they doing that to the house i wouldn't have done that to the house and, you know i just yeah it's, yeah it's strange the memories are there we've got our memories we've got our video footage we've got our photos of being there i mean because they're good memories for me you know they're great memories because it is sort of you know it's um it's our beginning. Our beginning in a place where I knew that, you know, what a real relationship was, you know, so, mm. you know, as we've already covered the second marriage thing, so, you know. <laughs> uh, and now we're doing this house up, and that's the exciting thing. Yeah. It's the first time we've ever worked on a project together, isn't it? It is. It's exciting. We've not really had projects together, because obviously it was my house, the old house. The only thing was, that's the chihuahua. She's very, very loud. Actually, we have two chihuahuas, and let me tell you, if you're thinking about getting a dog that's easy, don't get a chihuahua. <laughs> or two. Literally the most difficult dog to train in the world. I'm not even sure you can train them. I think that they're so small, so people just let them be. But yes, they yeah. are really hard to yeah. train. They are the most loving animals. They're a bit weird, but they're adorable. And they're really hard to train. Whereas massive labradoodles, it would seem, are very simple to train. Yeah. It's a strange one, isn't it, though? That whole kind of creating something with common purpose. Yes, it is. You know, because I wonder whether realistically we should have moved earlier just because I think that to some degree it kind of holds you back those kind of memories. Yeah, but I think that the, the, there's a reason. I, I'm always synergy and energy and, you know, and, and I just think there was some form of reason why we ended up moving here because it came up yeah. right at the right time. We were yeah. pulling out pulling out of that other house. Nothing had been on the market Yeah, and we were pulling out of that house anyway and on the same day that we yeah. said let's pull out, this house came up and it had literally been on the market a few hours before I rang and said I want to come and view it and within a day we put an offer on it so it was like the day that we were pulling out of that, we were pulling out of the house anyway because yeah. we just thought let's just we're pull out. We were going to lose our sale and we Yeah, and we, we, we did feel very bad about it but we had to think of ourselves, you know, but the, the buyers of our property were very patient all the way through it. But, and then it just came up and it was just, so there's definitely a reason why yeah. we didn't move. It has felt very synergetic and very present. Thank you, Molly, Molly Boo. But you know, one of the things that kind of is really resonant with me, like I said, is the feelings that you get inside here. Like I feel excited quite a lot in this house and I feel like hopeful quite a lot in this house. And even though it wasn't the house of my dreams as far as the age of it, I don't think you can buy a feeling in the same way that you no. can, exp you know, that's what we've kind of paid for to some degree. And I do feel like really, really peaceful here. Yeah, it is good. You know, it's obviously really we completely are going off subject because it was about moving and the psychology of moving and anybody who's going through it at the moment, like I said, we completely empathise. And let me tell you, my tip is, if it's not going easy, if it's too much of an effort, that's a sign. Just get out, just get out of that sale, there's no point. And also the other top tip I'd have for moving is don't do what I did. Yes, I like to think that I'm thrifty. I like to look for ways to cut costs, don't I? Yes. And so I thought, well, why spend that £1,500 on getting professional movers when you can hire a van yourself? Oh, you just reminded me of that. And you can drive it yourself. Oh. And you can move yourself. And all whilst having a very bad problem with your back discs. Yeah, why not do that? And that's exactly what I did, didn't I? I hired a van and said, we'll do it yeah. ourselves. And this van wasn't any, any normal van. It was a van from a, I don't know, maybe it's a... Who's the guy? Stephen King book. It's a van from Stephen King book. That's what it, the, the, If Stephen King's going to write a new book, he should call it The Van, and he should come speak to us about this van. 
It just broke down all the time. Yeah. In the end, they came and swapped it for another van. It just was horrendous. Anyway, I thought that it'd take us one van load. Yeah, it didn't take us one was van it load. five? We got finished at two o'clock in the morning. Bear in mind that we only had half a day to move, but we managed to finally get in oh. a day earlier, otherwise we would still be, we'd yeah. just have been in such now? And the worst bit was, we were going away for the weekend that weekend. Yeah. So we literally moved in, didn't we? Shoved everything in and away, went away for a weekend. Yeah. Imagine thinking, right, that's it, we've got most of it moved now, we've got to go, you know, and you get there and you realise you've got to move an Arga. Not <laughs> we'll just, you know, well. and bear in mind the Arga, you know, collectively on a pallet is a ton, a ton. So I had to go, Imagine this. So I've got a Land Rover Freelander, yeah? Very, fairly big, put the seats down at the back. I had to go and get a pallet shifter. It wasn't any normal pallet shifter. It was one of the ones that you pump up, you know? So I got to, um, what is it, the, 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 the higher place? HSS. H HSS higher, is it? Yeah. And she saw, I said, yeah. She said, have you got a van? I said, I've got a Land Rover Freelander, you know? And she looked at me, she was like, okay. That's not going to work. And I just looked at her and I said, right, there's no option. <laughs> it is going to work. I'm going to get it in. Bear in mind, this pallet shifter weighed an absolute... It wasn't a ton, but it, obviously that's the Arga, but it was, it was so heavy. It must have been 100 kilograms. And literally, I got it to the back and she looked at me and I was just... And I just said, it's going in. <laughs> yeah, so bear in mind, I had... It was a freelander and she said have you got a van i said no it's a freelander she just looked at me and said that's not going to work so i took it out the back and literally it was that heavy the pallet shift lifter and i just for some reason i just had it you know when you those moments of strength that you just yeah. think i've got to do it because if i don't do it you know everything i'm just gonna I'm, i don't know what i'm gonna do i've got to get the van bring it over here get it in there and it's just another whole like hour two hours out of our day which we can't afford oh, and God. i just lifted it like samson <laughs> ah! and like sort of put it in and dropped it on and then pushed it pulled it around lifted it pushed it in she just looked at me and went it's the first time i've ever seen one of them get put into anything but a van well. <laughs> and she just walked off shaking her head and i put it in and got there and you know to move an arga and bear in mind the old drive we were on was like that so literally they holding this cars up it. how do they do that we like i ruined my audi when i went up that path i, I, no idea. I know but yeah it was uh it was something i'll never ever want to do again moving we're never yeah. moving again i mean that's the stuff i shot so much stuff out and then we did we called it yeah we? but we still had like oh it's just the thing is as well though that what i will remember from moving more than any of it is just how my family came and how your family came like bart came my yeah. brother came my dad came everybody was just present even the kids had a day yeah. off school and they came and that whole ability of just connecting with each other and yeah. just helping each other because i just think that one of the reasons why i've always chosen to stay around here even though my work is mostly in the south is because you just can't buy having that family feeling around you you know like for yeah, me yeah. everything begins middles and ends with my mum and my dad and my sister and my brother and our connections and that kind of is really resonant as well because i think one of the things that we've loved about moving to this house is having this big table and we all sit around it and yeah. we can do like christmases and really simple things you know it's not a big deal like i said you know we certainly don't live in a palatial home by any stretch of the imagination but what we do have is a place that works for those connections mm -hmm. and it, yeah i just absolutely love it but anyway that's just a massive detracted and protracted experience of explaining how we get it if you're moving and it's hideous so we did start off initially talking about the fact that we're going to have loads of guests and then I've gone and rambled on about this. Hey, well, that's <laughs> what podcasts are all about, aren't they? Well, yeah. listen, this morning you got really irate about Peter Hitchens from the Daily Mail. Yes, I did. <coughs> I read an article on his... Um, Daily Mail. And it starts off, <coughs> everybody shut up about the suffragettes. And he goes on about them being terrorists and da 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 da, -da and, that women, and then he goes on and says that you know, women are going to be getting as treated as, as well as they're going to be in press, media, different work, you know, employment. And the way he writes it, it's, it's as, as well as they are going to be. And I, I did I, yeah, as equal, yeah, to as equal as they are ever going to be, which to me just, just says, what a misogynistic bastard. 
I can't help but and then you look at his Twitter and it's just full of just bizarre, bizarre it is amazing. Crocs of shit that he comes out with and yeah, like it all. It's amazing how the Daily Mail utilise propaganda all the way through their paper. So there is absolutely very little fact-based information. It's always attitudes and opinions like the Hopkins of the world and the Hitchens of the world and yeah. the Dr. Max, the mind doctor, who actually is really offensive. But they give them a platform and 55 million people subscribe. Can you believe that around the world? 55 million people are buying into that bullshit. And one of the things that I went on after you spoke to me about that, because I don't take any interest in the Daily Mail, but I went on his Twitter to explore it. <clears throat> a couple of things. Number one, loads of fake followers. Yeah. You don't get 50 likes if you've got 50,000 people. I get more than that with the little family that I've got on my Twitter. So very needy guy, clearly. Secondly, doesn't follow anyone. Arrogant bastard. Yeah. Arrogant bastard. I'm far too famous to follow anyone else. Why would I follow anyone else? Oh. Very much. What's Fuck that? yours. It's like the type of guy who has that password, you know. Yeah. What's... <laughs> Banking. What's your password? Yeah, yeah. Flash cunt. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Sorry, use the C word, but yes, yeah. Do you want me to spell it for you? Flash cunt. I don't know. But what a dick. But I saw things like he's written on his Twitter about addiction and basically said that addiction is choice-based as opposed to actually something that people can be connected to through oh, physiology yeah. and he evidences this is hilarious this is what i mean about people spewing bullshit but if you don't know and you're not educated in that area you will buy into it you'll Absolutely. think it's a fact because it might make a little bit of sense yeah and he wrote about babies and he said babies don't have any will so they don't have any ability to be addicted yeah because they wouldn't know what addiction was it's just Absolutely ridiculous. Number one, babies do have will. They have loads of will. In fact, what we know in developmental psychology is that they're born with a huge blueprint, survival-wise. The fact that you will follow their eyes with their eyes and hold their gaze is them choosing to control you. The fact that when they cry, they are giving you information about the way that they feel. Their whole premise of survival is based on their intent. And he says, hang on, he says, so addiction is choice-based. So what about when babies come out of... No, he says that's not real. So when mothers are, are addicts, like crack addicts, no, heroin real. addicts, and then the babies come out and they're heroin dependent yeah. and, and crack dependent, so those babies aren't addicted, obviously not addicted out of choice, because that's I'll not actually, their choice. I'll, they're I'll addicted find you, from, I'll find you some of this stuff. I also, we'll go back obviously onto the thing about the suffragettes, because I think yeah. that's a really um, important thing, but... Yeah, so let me find you an example of that. He just sounds, it's like he's not real. If he's oh, he doesn't he's follow anyone. Just he's just an absolute. He's just one of those, isn't he? Clickbait. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's the key clickbait. And I think people need to be really aware of that, that people do do this for clickbait. Let's find tweets and replies. Now, he's probably had quite a few people. Oh, <laughs> okay, you ready? This is the kind of thing that Peter Hitchens says. Um, or you can examine the facts and find the time right. Doctors are often wrong. You're right, Peter. You'll be more right than qualified professionals and medics. That makes perfect sense, Peter. Mm. Yeah, big journalist. I'm absolutely convinced of that. Thalidomide lobotomy barbiturates. Actually, to be fair, Peter, Thalidomide had horrendous impact, we know that, but did it stop the morning sickness? Yes, it did. We've learned not to use thalidomide for that, and thalidomide is still used actually in medicine for certain things, but obviously not when you're pregnant. Lobotomy, yet again, certain lobotomy procedures are still continued and are very effective when dealing with things like epilepsy. Barbiturates, barbiturates are incredibly useful, so that's a pile of bollocks as well and are influenced by fashion and pharmaceutical company lobbying. I'll buy into the fact that pharmaceutical companies do do some really negative things, Peter, so that's the only point that you're making okay. And he's basically saying that addiction just isn't the case. And on top of that, he, um, he actually offers the fact that, yeah, basically children, babies are born without any kind of will and therefore they can't possibly be addicted just doesn't make sense. What blows my mind though is that these people say things in a way as if it is a fact. Mm. Isn't it crazy? So there you go, this is how it goes. Mark White has said, there you go, Mr Hitchens has said that addiction does not exist. So all you doctors and counsellors that specialise in addiction can just tell all your patients to pull themselves together and stop being selfish. Oh, and find something else new to do. 
And the response to that, Peter says, is, do you think that at all? Newborn babies have neither will nor choice. They have will. Choice is limited based on the fact that their brains are being formed to the degree where they can't walk initially. But as far as choice goes, well, that's a very philosophical debate because they choose to cry, which alerts your responses, which means that you are essentially controlled by their responses, which means they do have choice. Also, they have choices to feed. They yep. have choices to do lots of things. Also, as far as will goes, again, we see that they've got lots of will. That's why they smile, etc. They have <coughs> will, they have feelings. So he says, be addicted if such things exist, as the whole point of addiction is in its, its negation of will and choice. In that case, they've been poisoned by their criminal mothers. Oh, what an absolute tosser. Yeah, I don't like his writing. I don't like his, his, his opinions. I think they're a bit... A bit is not just misogynistic, but just downright just a crock of shit. Really. Yeah. I, mean, well, let's take I don't know you personally, so I'm not going to you know, attack you in a personal way, but come on, mate. Your journalism is just... Oh, I do. I feel quite happy to attack him. If you go around saying that this is it, this is it for women, this yeah. is as equal as you'll ever get. Yeah. As in, number one, that you're threatening me, that me That's desiring yeah. equality is something that really I should just shut up and put up with. Yeah. Secondly, the idea that equality is something that exists for women. Absolute bullshit. Any woman who is listening to this knows that the truth is we will never be as physically present and dominant as men and therefore that's why three of us get murdered a week by our domestic abused partners. Mm. Now, men do get killed by women a lot rarer because we don't physically abuse to kill on the whole. It's as simple as that. That does not mean that women do not coercively control. It does not mean that women are not hideous bitches in relationships and that men are not abused. They absolutely are. But it is not the same. That's why we call it a gender-specific crime. It might not make people happy to hear that, but that's actually the way it is based on statistics. A bit like we talked about last time with profiling. That's the deal. Mm. But the idea that women who are still being paid massively less than men in the workplace, women who are seen to be the ones who should give up work to have babies because that's their natural inclination, women who have to put their own careers on hold because their bodies might be working against them, but then are judged if they go and have things like egg retrieval to worry about that later on down the line. Everything about women is prejudiced. Mm. And yes, the one thing I would say that makes us more than equal is our ability to procreate and actually to procreate without men now. But that does not fundamentally mean that society treats us with an equal perception or an equal obligation. And as a white man, He's your classic example of somebody who sees the world through the Piers Morgan attitude eyes. Mm. And it's something that really holds us back. And I just think that we should all look at humankind as humans are equal. It shouldn't be about gender. It shouldn't be about black. It shouldn't be about white. It shouldn't be about any of them. We should start trying to see each other as individual, unique creatures who all deserve the same amount of equality as others. But you're absolutely right. People like him, it's like the same with the Me Too campaign. Everyone's like so bored with the Me Too campaign. You know, you hear it all the time on social media. People are like, oh, enough already. And you're thinking to yourself, do you know what, guys and girls? Because women are being equally, if not more so, disrespectful towards that whole campaign. You know, yeah. this kind of sense of, oh, just put up with it, get on with it. It wasn't really that bad. This idea that we are perpetuating an acceptance of women's bodies being abused or power dynamics being oppressed to such a degree that women have submitted to behaviours that have hurt them, that's a massive problem. And we might not like it that women are finally standing up. And yes, I agree, it's not the best to see Hollywood icons who are multi-millionaires coming out and acting like poor me because that almost to some degree makes people angry because you're looking at them and you're not judging them about the behavior that's hurt yeah. them you're yeah. judging them about their life and how can you beautiful successful now it's irrelevant they're still human beings Absolutely. and women who've been hurt but that's what kind of brings that playing level down where people yeah. start getting angry about it but for the women on the street these days you get that constantly and a woman went on this morning and she was against Liz Fraser now I love Liz Fraser me and Liz Fraser got on really well but I did massively disagree with Liz she went on this morning with this woman. Now, this woman was wearing incredibly, you know, sexy clothes. And I say that, honestly, they were tight-fitting. She had really well-endowed chest, very attractive woman. She was going on and she was saying, you don't have a right to wolf with somebody. And the classic one that Liz came out with was, oh, get over it, it's just flattery. But the point is this, right? It's not flattery if it's not invited. Yeah, yeah. It isn't. And I, for one, have walked past work 
sites and got whistled. Did it upset me? No, it didn't. Didn't upset me. But the point is, that doesn't mean that it should happen. Just because I am somebody who can handle that, yeah, yeah. it doesn't happen very often anymore, by the way, because I'm of an age where there's always a younger girl walking past who gets the whistles. But Oi, workman, what are you doing? She's gorgeous. <laughs> no, I'm quite happy with that, as you know. But the point <laughs> is that Liz was kind of arguing it, and people got in touch and they were like, how dare you be saying that when you look like that? How dare you expect men not to wolf whistle you when you're wearing such figure hooding clothes? Now, that is one step away from saying you deserve to get raped because you were wearing mm. a short dress. Yeah. You know? You know what? It's just, you know, everybody should just respect everybody else. Everybody else's opinion, everybody else's way of living. You know, you don't have to go as far as ask to look, am I all right? You know, just, just respect people. Mm. It's not hard. No. Well, I'm, I'm not perfect. I've, you know, throughout my life, I've, you know, disrespected, whatever, not, not women and stuff, but you know, in, in certain situations, I haven't been perfect, but. I'm learning as I go on, as I get older, just, just, all it is, is just about respect, just treat it's people. It's not hard, is it? Not, it's not hard. It's got nothing Come to on. do with education. You know, people and when you talk like... about the people saying about the Hollywood people, and you know, it's just like, look, these people work hard, right? They work hard to get there. It's fair enough, some people are born into the money and they can get up there easier, but just, that's the way it is, you know? You can't help from where you're born to, you can't, but they work hard still. People, in, people who are actors and actresses work their socks off. So that doesn't take away from why they should be coming out. People saying they're jumping on the bandwagon, da 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 da, you know. They probably have to keep quiet because of the careers exactly. and they're scared to say anything, exactly. you know. And it's the same, there's no difference between them and the woman on the street who is a cleaner or a office worker or a, works in a school, you know. It's, a, it's still humans. I know it's different, you know, situations with the world. Money doesn't money, stop you being abused. Money doesn't stop you being abused and money doesn't stop you from, it doesn't stop, it, you know, it doesn't stop you from being the same as the next person, except for the money, fair enough. But everybody, everybody's blood runs red. Yeah, you know and also, I mean? to, be, to be honest as well, you think about the actresses and actors, a lot of the time, the actresses will have been put under far more duress than the average person, because they're going for jobs with these guys in power mm. who know how to get them on the casting couch, so to speak, and to make them feel like if they don't, their career's gonna end. You know, usually when you're going for an office job, that isn't the case, or when I've gone for interviews, I've certainly mm. never felt that way. You know, I have never been in my workplace sexually harassed in any way, shape or form. I've always had really respectful people that I've worked with. I've worked with lots of men, lots of women. I've never felt that. Yes, I've had flirtatious behaviour. I've engaged in flirtatious behaviour, both with men and women. I quite like flirting. And sometimes I have to acknowledge that could have impacted on them negatively, but that's their choice to then yeah. maybe have a conversation with me. But you have to accept that your behaviour has consequences. And it's an interesting debate because of the fact that when you actually look at how that transmutes to the courtroom, for example, you know, I have been work, I've worked on cases where girls and boys have been sexually abused and the barristers are trying to suggest that they have seduced the individual abusing them. And it's almost like it's an acceptable thing to do, either to make that individual look like they are the person who's been the seducer and the provocateur of that behaviour, or that they're a liar. So when you actually look at the way that even our legal system works, it's about to take a victim and to reduce that victim to the tiny minuets of their behaviour that could cause others to mm. distrust them. And when it comes down to things like rape, you just have to look at the absolute tossers who are some of the judges, not all of them, there are some amazing judges out there, but you know these old boys and you can tell that they're like nearly 900 years and they've had far too much whiskey and they think women are a certain thing in place. And they literally will coincide and collude with the barristers who were basically suggesting that because the girl was walking around drunk, yeah. she was inviting that kind of attention. So that goes back again to that whole idea of inequality. Don't get me wrong, I worked on that documentary not so long ago, Raped My Story, yeah. up for a Royal Television Award. Thank you very much. I'm very, very happy about that. Whilst you don't see me in it, I was the person who did all the support behind the scenes. And it was an absolute privilege. The women and men who took part were incredible. But it was the first time I'd worked with a guy who'd had a really negative experience when he was raped, a heterosexual lad, um, raped by two guys for a very long duration over you know, 12 hours, um, terribly, terribly affected him. He had exactly the same. The mm. whole scenario is your word against theirs. You went back to the hotel room, you were drunk. You know, this kind of presumption that if you are inebriated or you were doing something like having fun or who cares if you're wearing a short skirt or looking loose and provocative, yeah. that's not an invite. And so going back to Peter Hitchens, <clears throat> when idiots like that come out and say that kind of stuff, they're the things that settles back. 
they're the things that change the way that people yeah. perceive women. And it's so annoying. Well, it's because he's spouting that to all those 55 million people, you know. Um, and you say, like, a certain percentage of that, you know, you know, fall into his trap of clickbait and read his tosh and, you know, then believe it and then become blinded with the bigotry and misogynistic beliefs that coming out of that, you know, not so much that paper, but which there is a lot of it in that paper, but the, the people they employ like him, and it said Katie Hopkins, you know. No, she's Katie Hopkins not, isn't employed anymore by them, but she's... She, oh, she's not, is she? Yeah. She, One good thing you did. really interesting, because well, obviously I did a piece with her where it was about the programme where she put on loads of weight and then she lost weight and she couldn't kind of get her head around the fact that somebody who puts on weight purposefully doesn't understand what it's like to be overweight. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> if you've not got a mindset of an overweight person, putting on weight doesn't make you that mindset. Yeah. She's so weird. That whole premise of that show was just flawed from the onset. But obviously, to people watching, it's like, yeah, let's fat shame. That's what we need to do. Katie can lose three stone after she's put three stone on yeah. because she was making herself put three stone on and yeah. now it's gone back to how she used to eat, so now she's lost the weight. It was just a yeah. flawed premise, but well, She's getting paid to do a documentary, so you're getting paid to do that and do that. So yeah, it's, it's like, about... if you don't do it, it's, you're going to look stupid yeah. anyway, so you've got to, you know... Exactly. Uh, dick. So that's the whole thing. You can't make a skinny person put weight on and then say that they understand it. It doesn't. But I did that programme with her. And she's a classic example. People will say to me regularly when she was on Big Brother, Celeb Big Brother, a lot of people kind of said, oh, she seems really nice. You know, she came runner-up, didn't she? And everybody was really quite pro her who were watching. They were saying she's quite a nice person, blah, blah. Now, I find that's the most terrifying part of who she is. Because mm -hmm. when I met her, she's very charming. She's very affable. She's very engaging. <coughs> <coughs> Excuse me. The minute the cameras come on, the pantomime villain steps in. And people will say that that's kind of a persona that she plays just to get the views and I get that but that's what makes her so malicious mm. for me to know that that is an act it's an act that she portrays for the public to gain the followers and the controversy and the individual responses that she needs for her brand but it's fake that she isn't even that person that makes her diabolical because if you are just a complete tosser and you are intrinsically nasty mm. and you've been for whatever reason developmentally formed maybe there's a bit of a predisposition in your dna and that's been activated by a crappy childhood or an overindulged childhood or whatever you were horribly bullied and you've decided the only way to be is a bitch fair comment power to you 24 7 that's who you are i won't like you but it's who you are. But if you can be a decent human being and then choose to do as much harm as possible by spreading and spouting that spew that you don't even believe in, that you just use because it gets you cash, yeah. that makes you somebody with grave intent. And she's a horrible human being because of that. Yeah. And unlike in my life where I tend to see the good in people, happy to sit in a room with her and say to her face, you are a horrible human being. You are a horrible human being because you cause damage purposefully for your brand and yet you don't live your brand. That's a horrible way to be. Yeah, that's just uh, something wrong there, isn't it? <laughs> with a person that does that. Well, it's narcissism, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, it's a being a certain way <clears throat> to yeah. get what you need yeah. in spite of other people's impact. Very, very odd. Yeah, it's very a very odd. strange situation. I would love to have you in a room with her, like even longer than the last time, just so you could tear her a new arsehole. Do you know what? It's not even that, because the thing is, there isn't really much to say between me and Katie, you know. There would not be anything to say because of the fact that she and I could never connect because I yeah, know true. that act. Yeah. And there's nothing I want to know about her because I already know she was the unattractive kid at school. She was the girl who used her female womanly wise to try to get attractive people to like her because that was the only way that she could foundation-wise have friendships. So mm. it was the way that she would manipulate scenarios. That's why she will step over women to get to men yeah. because she has to have validation she has to have worth and unfortunately for her that makes her somebody that no matter who you are in your life you'll always know there's that side and that nastiness to her and that's what makes her somebody that in the end will probably be somebody that's very old and lonely and that's a really mm. sad position to be but whatever she seems happy enough let her be that's yeah. the way it goes you know
Well, I feel like we've covered loads of random stuff today. Oh, yeah. A few ramblings there about moving house, about suffragettes, about Peter Hitchens, a bit of Katie Hopkins, and yeah. basically lots of stuff that probably doesn't go together, but nonetheless we've gone for anyway. Yeah, but that's the thing, you see. We've been making sense of it, or have we? I don't know. <laughs> I've making sense of it. I've got no idea. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, um, it'd be nice for people to as I say, get in touch. Yeah. If we've got any ideas of, again, guests, we have, have we've always, we can't even speak. As we've already said, we've got some good guests coming up from a male sex worker to a pro-drugs author. Realisation, yeah. Yeah. Um, and the amazing True Geordie. Really looking forward to that. He's yeah, so I'm cool. looking forward to that. Look He's so cool. That. But yeah, hopefully lots of new guests. But the main bit is to remember. Any young people, any young people who want to get in yeah. touch. Yeah, we love young people. Yeah. Sounds wrong when I say that. No, you know, you know what's it like to be? Ways. It'd be nice to look. What's it like to be a young person in a, a, a millennial or a what centennial? What do you mean? I'm completely down with the kids, Pete. Yeah. I absolutely know what it's like to be. I'm there. down with the kids. Yeah, do you know, you know what, what I mean? mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is that the right one? <laughs> That's the one. Yeah, they do that. Yeah. People on the podcast can't hear that. So we just doing dance moves. Yeah, we could actually just do anything, couldn't we? You know. Now I used to be a break dancer, so I should be able to do these. I'm master. I'm master them for the next time, and then show you my dance moves. You're gonna have to do a live with Pete break beats on the street or something. Like just get a little bit of a live one out there, putting some stuff in and doing some. What a live feed. Yeah, doing breakdancing. <laughs> Put your money where your mouth is. Put your money where your mouth is. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Can I dress up as someone else? No, you've got to do it like old school. I want you in a proper shell suit with a big VW and a hat at the side. Oh, like I've got, I've got one of them. I've got my old, my, my Kangol hat. Yeah. Yeah, like do, proper B-boy style. Like. Yeah, that's right. We're doing it. Yeah, I can do that. Yeah, and I'll stand behind you just like, like that. Yes, just stand, don't move just at like all. Just stand with arms Just nod every now and then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We'll, and like we'll get some real probably with old, dark some, glasses as well. Yeah, some real old school electro. Yeah, you know, that's that's it. That's what we're gonna do. Bit of lino. Yeah, Can I, I'm gonna put some carpet under my lino. Making sense of it on the streets. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> with feet yeah. breaking some. We're gonna beats. go old school. <laughs> we're gonna go old school with a K, not a CH. Hip hop. Yes, oh, I'm up for that. We'll change it. Oh, anyway, we're gonna you get, get me. We're gonna get going. <laughs> We're going to return for next week's Making Sense of It, where we will have a guest, hopefully. So we will exciting. have a guest. So. But as is mentioned, if you've got any areas that you want to cover, please let us know. We're trying to keep it light to some degree, but that doesn't mean that we can't go into some really deep, dark areas if you want to. So just get in touch with us, add a comment on YouTube. Don't forget to subscribe. It's Making Sense of It on iTunes and you can look up Emma Kenny TV on YouTube and Twitter and Facebook and you'll be able to follow it there as well. The main bit is keep watching, keep listening, keep growing with us because we're hoping by next year we're going to have 33 followers. So that's where we're going. Aim big, dream big, visions. See ya.